0: Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth all through the lens of nursing. Well, hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host Amanda Gornieri. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in today. I am very happy to have you listening whether it's your first time or you've been a long-time listener. Thank you. I respect the fact that your time is valuable and it means a lot that you are sharing it with me. Today, I am talking to Dr. Nina Ahuja, who I'm going to introduce to you now briefly before we dive in to the interview. I'm I'm excited for this topic because we're talking about stress and burnout, which you may think is a nursing-specific experience, but it is not. So let me tell you about Dr. Ahuja. She is an ophthalmologic surgeon, Who has a very decorated career, both clinically and academically? She's also held many leadership positions throughout her career thus far as a physician. Dr. Ahuja founded an organization called Docs in Leadership, and this is a platform that supports and promotes physician developed leadership curriculum for all health professionals. She is the author of Stress in Medicine, and this is a book that I had. The privilege of reading before we sat down to chat during the interview, and I talk about it with her in our talk. So common takeaways here, while we serve different roles on the healthcare team in terms of nurses, advanced practice nurses, and physicians, we really all share this common experience of stress, and none of us is exempt from burnout. So I'm really excited to share this talk with you. We talk about a framework that Dr. Ahuja has developed for you to approach dealing with stress or burnout or whatever term you'd like to use. So let's just dive right in and get started. So without further ado, an interview with Dr. Nina Ahuja. Okay, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Nurse Becoming. I am here with Dr. Nina Ahuja, who I am so excited to introduce to you. We are going to be talking about all about stress and burnout and her book, Stress in Medicine, and I'm going to let her introduce herself to you. So Dr. Ahuja, please tell us about yourself.
1: Thanks, Amanda, for having me on your podcast, and please call me Nina. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So I actually have been in practice for about seventeen years now. I did my undergraduate degree back in the early '90s. It was a an honor science degree that was non-specialized, but was uh, tending more towards biology and biophysics. And then ultimately, after that, decided to go into medicine. Graduated from medical school in '98. Did my residency in ophthalmology, uh, and graduated from there in 2003. And have been in practice since then, in a clinical and surgical practice uh, based out of a, a private office. A couple of years after starting practice, I actually became more involved in the academic world. We started a residency program in ophthalmology at our university, and I was integral in establishing that program, specifically with respect to the surgical components that needed development with cataract surgery and, you know, just developing the faculty so that they felt comfortable having residents with them in the OR where they weren't used to it uh, at that time. As those roles evolved, I also became involved with various leadership activities at the hospital. And so the two experiences in leadership developed in parallel, both on the university side and and in in the clinical hospital setting. So that was a very interesting journey for me that gave me a lot of exposure to different leadership styles and physician leadership styles specifically. There I identified that there is a spectrum of capabilities within physician leadership uh, where some are excellent and others really need development. That then led me to identify the gap in medical education where we don't get formalized leadership education through our training. And so with that, I established an organization called Docs and Leadership, which was created to promote and provide leadership education to physicians and fellow health professionals. So my various roles, uh, presently, I'm academic division head for ophthalmology at the university. Uh, I have finished a term of my presidency of Medical Staff Association for the hospital side. All of those things have really given me insight into various elements of medical practice, both on the front line through my, through my own practice and then uh, from a systems level as well.
0: I love that. And I, I love that you identified the gap in leadership training. And I think, you know, on the nursing side of things, we see that too, especially with advanced practice nurses. To some degree, there's this level of innate high achieving for those of us who go into the medical field, but we don't get formalized leadership training when we're actually in school. And when we complete school, we're expected to take on leadership roles, but yet they often require us to kind of figure things out on our own or have a good mentor which i know is something that you value and and we'll talk a little bit more about mentorship and support because i think that's so super important and i'd love to know kind of after establishing this organization what got you further interested in the concept of stress what what led you to want to explore this and shine a light on this a little bit more
1: the impetus for from that was really the covid-19 pandemic where as you know, in medicine, the elective procedures and assessments were put on hold uh, at many centers and my center included. With that, I had an extended break from the clinical surgical side of things, but I was still very active in the academic world where I was engaged at national level meetings looking at residents, uh, their basically their education being disrupted because of, of the of the slowdowns. At that time, our senior residents were concerned about their certification exams coming up and how those would be impacted. Medical students were concerned about their certification exams, final year graduates, and they were also concerned about their applications to residency programs. And then residents, in turn, again, were concerned about applications to fellowship. So I was surrounded by a lot of the issues that were happening in the world of medical education, which reminded me and took me back to my own time through medical school and residency, where, uh, as you read in the book, I had a really tough time in medical school. The idea of those stresses of medical education and what we experience in our day-to-day experiences in medicine in practice as well, uh, that compounded by by the COVID-19 stresses of uncertainty, all of those things made me feel that this was the time to really put something together to help the medical students, uh, residents, early career physicians navigate what we're going through. And also for those physicians and surgeons who were in practice, where there were some surgeons I would speak to who, with the closures of elective surgery, they really didn't know what to do with themselves because so much of their identity was rooted within that. Those were the ideas that were circulating when uh, the book came to be.
0: I think it's fair to say that, you know, the book itself isn't about stress in the setting of the pandemic, but it, it sounds like this was kind of an event that was able to shine a light on these undercurrents that were really always present, right? Like you experienced it yourself and you had seen that firsthand throughout your, your training and your development as a leader. Is that fair to say.
1: That's very true.
0: And in fact, during that
1: time, I was reading a lot of blog posts that were posted by medical students, residents, nursing students, various health professional students. And that's where I realized that, hang on a second, the the same experiences and issues that I faced over 20 years ago, I can't believe I'm just saying that, (laughs) (laughs) are still very much there today. And so that was the realization that uh, led to saying that, okay, I've got a month you know, a few months gap here where I've I've never had this. So uh, let's do something with this time.
0: And something that I love in particular about the book that you made clear from the beginning is that it's a narrative story with a framework, as opposed to a very traditional researched paper with citations, right? This is an experiential type book, which I think is very creative? I don't know if it felt like an act of creativity when you were writing it. I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of that process for you and whether whether it felt like creativity or whether it felt like research. Uh,
1: that's a great question. To me, it felt more like creative expression. I, I would agree with what you're saying. It, it was actually an intentional decision, to be quite honest with you, not to go the more academic route and pull in the research and, you know, I think we have a lot of that. And all of that is very valuable. But my position in it was, you know, we have a culture of silence in our profession, we need to break that culture of silence. And research studies are not going to do it. So from my perspective, I thought, you know, these are stories that are very real firsthand experiences that I've gone through. So that as I was going through the book and doing my outline and thinking about what i wanted to share i really felt strongly that this needed to be a personal book that people could relate to so that they didn't feel alone going through things and also you know could see that you know here's someone who went through a lot of challenge and a lot of struggle but in the end you can get through it and make it positive and make all of those experiences growth opportunities that help you progress further So that was a very intentional thing. And and as part of that process, the reason I say it was a creative expression piece is because I was able to take those experiences and share them in a way that was translated in the academic realm in a way that isn't totally academic, but it's kind of academic and it gives you some structure, but it's not. I I hope that it's not received as being dry.
0: <laughs> you know? Right. No, no, definitely not dry at all. And I, I love it because it's beyond, you know, an op-ed piece that you might read. It's beyond a blog post. It's something that has a theoretical framework that's really rooted in science, but like you said, is not kind of dry or sterile like the traditional reading because someone who's going through a tough time who needs to benefit from the content of the book is not necessarily going to spend that free time reading research papers like it's a little bit yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not really something that people tend to love to do in their spare time for self improvement right it's a little bit more job related so there is a framework that you introduce in the book, and it's kind of the cornerstone framework uh, that I'm hoping that you can share a little bit with us called the ADMIT framework. Would you like to share a bit about that?
1: Sure, absolutely. The uh, ADMIT framework came to me actually through my reflection and, and thinking about the different experiences and challenges that I faced. And in doing so, I realized that I could qualify them into one of five phases of experience. Challenges weren't only unique to one of the five phases, but I could categorize it in a way that there was one primary phase that I could focus on and then delve into it deeper and overcome it and move on to the other phases. The ADMIT framework, it's an acronym. So each letter stands for one of the five phases. The first one is adapting to new ways. So whether you're, you know, changing rotations or changing jobs, positions, if you're opening a practice, if you've gotten married, you're having a child, all of those changes that we come across are really things that require us to adapt. And there are certain barriers that can prevent us from adapting. uh, And that's what that particular phase explores. The D stands for doing the work. As we all know, medicine is uh, filled with tasks and things to do and things to learn and the the volumes and responsibilities associated with that are very unique in that we're dealing with patients in their most vulnerable moments uh, and phases in their lives. So that the D uh, part of the framework explores the challenges that we face internally there and also looks at some strategies to overcome those particular things when it comes to the actual doing of of what we do in our work. M refers to measuring success. Now, in medicine, we're often uh, reared in a competitive environment where, you know, getting into medical school and then residency, and, you know, if you're doing a master's degree, there's always that element of having to shine above others in order to be accepted. That phase really looks at the objective measures of success against uh, the more internal measures of success and considers how can we turn things around and look at things where we're not measuring who we are as people by the external measures, but more by how we personally define success. And so that chapter or that phase explores you know, what is the true definition of success to you. I refers to introspection and highlights the need to be able to Take the time and create the time to be mindful about our experiences, to allow our different emotions to come up within us. So we learn to recognize them as triggers and identifiers that we're having a a positive time or we're having a difficult time. And then learning in turn how to manage those responses so that we can uh, utilize them and develop and evolve in a way that those responses allow us to use it productively as opposed to it becoming something that's uh, counterproductive or destructive even. And then the T refers to transformation, where the idea is that as we identify the various barriers and the various phases of experience, and we explore them through the different reflection points and you know tools that are offered through the book, how can we incorporate that into who we are so that Moving forward, we've learned enough and integrated it enough into our thinking such that it becomes an automatic response. And so there's that transformation and evolution of growth that happens each time we face an experience so that the next time we've developed that skill to be able to manage it, therefore, you know, impacting our stress levels, our productivity levels, how we are in our own worlds, in our families, with our patients, you know, in the, in the teams that we work in and so on. So that's the admit framework.
0: I'm a big fan of frameworks, <laughs> personally. Um, and I thought that it was really a nice, powerful, and succinct way to break down, like you said, this entire process. My my personal favorite step, if I can have a favorite, mm-hmm. is the introspection step. I think that there's so much power in mindfulness practice and also mindset Adjustment. I talk a lot about mindset here on the podcast when it comes to moving through experiences and how we can have control over our reactions to experiences and how we process, because I completely agree that the processing of emotions and experiences, regardless of where they fall on the spectrum of positive to negative, it's so important because when we don't process, we can't. Transform, which is that final step. So I thought that was really powerful, and I'm glad that you, you know, were able to point that out in a whole in a whole section of of the framework. Because sometimes I feel like mindset work or introspection can kind of be a sidecar to to conversations. But here it felt like it was really a very purposeful and um, key part of of the framework itself.
1: I'm glad you received it that way. That's definitely, uh, definitely true. And the reality is too, is that stressful experiences and stressful, stressful moments don't come in solitude. They are often multiple things that happen at once. So, you know, taking that time to be able to recognize what's coming up and in what context and where does that fit? That's so important in order to be able to unravel it all.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah hey quick commercial break when the world shut down last march i decided to sign my family up for HelloFresh. we couldn't go out to eat anymore and i was really over having to meal plan for every single dinner of the week and honestly this was one of the best decisions and i wish i had done it sooner like when i was working full-time nights in the emergency department with two kids but even as a working mom now with three little kids it is a lifesaver, honestly. And if you haven't heard about HelloFresh, it is a meal kit delivery service. Basically, you pick out your meals for the week from about 20 different selections that rotate, and you're delivered a box with all the measured ingredients plus very detailed directions for the meals you chose. And you can skip a box, cancel any time, You know, it's a subscription, but you don't have to have a box every week. Now, my husband who's not known for his culinary skills can really, really rock a HelloFresh dinner. So if you wanna try this, you can get $40 off your first box by using my refer a friend link. And this will also give me a small credit to my next box too. So you can go to theresumerx.com slash fresh or click the link in the show notes for this episode. Honestly, we haven't had a bad meal so far, but my two favorite meals are the cheesy beef tostadas and the firecracker meatballs. So if you see those on the menu when you order, definitely give those a try. Anyway, you can get $40 off your first box by going through my refer a friend link, theresumerx.com slash fresh. Now let's get back to the episode. Something that you also talked about that I wanted to unpack a little bit more was the, the concept of support and, and what that means for someone who is working in a medical environment, who's dealing with patients, who's dealing with stress in the workplace, and also that kind of secondary trauma of dealing with patients. So talk to us a little bit about kind of what you envision as the ideal support network for healthcare providers.
1: I think that the... uh Ideal Support Network is is truly a network in the sense that one thing that we have that is common is our day-to-day experience in that, as I mentioned before, we're dealing with patients. Patients are coming to us when they're not well. They're in a vulnerable state. They're turning to us for help, and there's a responsibility that we all feel that is unique to our profession. And when things go well, it feels great. And when things don't go well, it's a it's a weight and a burden that we carry. Within that network, because we can relate to one another, I think that a key element is our colleagues and our friends who, you know, we deal with this day to day. We should be able to talk about our experiences, not just at a technical level where we're looking at you know, the differential diagnosis is this and therefore we need to run these diagnostic tests and oh, it's a puzzle and we did this and we did that. The intellectual part of it, of course, is important, but I think the emotional part of it and the relational part of it is something that we need to feel more comfortable with. That piece, I think, is important because sometimes you can explain things to someone who's not within the profession but they can't fully understand as much as they can understand. They can't fully understand unless they've been through it, which is why I talk about in, in one of the earlier chapters that you really can't understand the journey of medicine unless you've been through it firsthand. That doesn't mean that that support network or source of support isn't important. And that's why I, I talk about the concept of it being a network. So on the one hand, you've got your colleagues who are you know going through it with you, but then you also have those people who are outside of that, Realm, which are very critical in order to remind you that there's more in life and there's more in your world that can add perspective to help you manage what we're dealing with so that close family and close friends outside of medicine also become very, very valuable. Mentors, coaches, those are very important elements as well, where mentors are people who have been through career, they're generally more advanced than you, and they can share their personal experiences with you and offer you guidance based on that. That has been extremely valuable to me. I've got a a number of people who I've often turned to saying that, look, this is a situation I'm dealing with. This is what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts? And is there anything that you would suggest to me in terms of what I may be overlooking? Or just have you had experience in this? There's huge value in that. And then there's value in coaches as well, which is a little bit more of an objective relationship, where it's often um, a shorter term relationship where you're asking someone who can provide you with tools to do some self assessments that are more objective. So for example, the EQI to emotional intelligence assessment, it's based on a framework that uh, has an assessment built around it, and it helps ident- you identify which elements of emotional intelligence. Do you need to develop more or where does there need to be more balance? So coaches are important in that sense, because they can come into your world, present some objective tools, which you can then develop in whatever direction you want to take it in. So all that to say you've got your colleagues, you've got your personal networks, you've got your educational resource networks, which is your mentors and coaches. And then, of course, if, you know, there is a need for professional help, where you're dealing with some issues of, say, depression or high anxiety, there's always the professional network of of mental health as well, which is extremely important to have as, as a support network. And the final element is that element of faith for people who have, you know, some religious or spiritual inclination that also can be a huge source of support and not everyone has that whatever frame of reference you're in that is something that you know people can turn to if if they feel that that works for them too
0: that's great i i'm glad that we're having the chance to talk about support and and mentorship and and peer mentorship which is what i like to refer to as the shared experience mm-hmm. transformation that can happen because i i hear a lot from my community from nurses and advanced practice nurses that they want and need a mentor but they don't know where to look and and I kind of always assumed probably incorrectly that physicians didn't have this problem because the structure of your education is different because there's residency programs and and typically physicians tend to be more linked up with academics and and university but it it sounds like we're all kind of going through similar struggles and we all kind of need to know those resources so that we can figure out who our support people in our support network are. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. I think we are going through similar experiences. And uh, in, in, in to your point, it is true that in residency programs and medical schools, there's oft, there are often mentorship programs within the programs, you know, they're offered to the students as resources. The interesting thing, though, is that there's often hesitation to share beyond a certain circle. Mm-hmm. Because of the concern that, you know, if I express that I have this challenge, well, maybe that, you know, surgical supervisor won't let me operate the next day because they're concerned about what I just share. So while the intermingling is definitely there, there is a tendency to remain quiet about things because of fear of limited opportunities or negative perception, things like that, uh, which I think... Is definitely the case in in medical school and residency. You can speak to it more in nursing. I would expect that there's probably an element there as well. In in any health profession where you're there's skills development and knowledge development, and you're being quizzed all the time. And you know, <laughs> it's uh it's not always easy to say, "Look, I'm really struggling," and just stop and give me five minutes <laughs> to I get my book together because it's so competitive. Again, right? It all comes down to that competitive culture,
0: which is too bad. I think personally, I'm. I'm a fan of vulnerability being a superpower. I think that it drives so much of kind of the positive experiences in the world. I think that vulnerability in patient encounters is powerful and healing and contributes to our ability to have true empathy. So, what I worry about is when individuals have this type of experience during their training, when it's not encouraged for them to share their experiences good or bad and kind of sit in that moment during their training you know is it going to affect the ability to show up with empathy with their patients and i don't i don't know probably people are able to turn it on and turn it off but it would be so nice to be in this culture of medical and nursing education where it was encouraged to kind of sit in the discomfort and be supported as you push through it. I know that's just my utopian <laughs> idea of, of how it would work. but
1: And I would be in agreement with that. And, and my hope is that this book will actually, you know, give readers permission to actually be in that space. Uh, which is why as as I mentioned before we started the official part of the podcast that you know, I would love this book to be in all medical programs, all nursing programs, uh, all health professional programs so that the mindset is set at the beginning that it's okay to be vulnerable, it's important to be vulnerable and all the outcomes that you just mentioned in terms of even right down to uh, improving patient care that all of that becomes the, outlook approach and way that people evolve through their education right from the start
0: yeah i i agree with you I think that this book and and these topics are are things that should be standard in education and also beyond you know if if you haven't had this type of exposure to how to deal with stress or burnout or whatever term you want to call it i think that you know, it's never too late to benefit from, from this type of material and this type of narrative. Uh, I would love for you, this is a good time for you to share where my listeners can either connect with you or get the book so that they can, they can read it.
1: Yes. So the book is available on Amazon and, uh, it's also available on Apple books, uh, Indigo, Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon, I think, is the distribution through various channels and in, in various um, countries. In terms of contacting me, I do have a website called uh, Docs and Leadership. It's just the organization that I had uh, created. So it's www.docsinleadership.org. Um, my email address through that is info at docs and leadership, and the Instagram handle and Twitter handle is at docsleadership. I would love to hear uh, from people and their thoughts and ideas and what they're going through and you know hopefully we can uh, learn to apply the framework and and make things a better experience the ups and the downs.
0: <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. Thank you. I will make sure that all those links are in the show notes because I would I definitely want people to uh, connect with your platform. This is an important an important book that I'm happy to be able to. To share. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for spending your time with me and my listeners.
1: No, thank you very much. It's it's, uh, really been a pleasure.
0: Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.